The following message was recorded at New Beginnings Church in Slidell, Louisiana. Please feel free to duplicate and share this message as you feel led. And you are invited to visit us at New Beginnings Church at 330 Robert Boulevard, Slidell, Louisiana, 70458. Our Sunday services start at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. If you have any questions, call us at 985-781-4663. And may God richly bless you as you listen to this message. Introducing uh, guest speaker tonight uh, many times. Um, he's, uh, he's opened the eyes of so many people to see. I remember the first time he came here and uh, spoke about the grace of God and uh, as good a job as I did trying to preach it, I was just no comparison with the revelation that God had given to James Barron. And when he spoke, the, uh, people's eyes and hearts were open. They could see for the very first time. Uh, and James made a statement. He said, doesn't this sound right? Doesn't it sound right in your heart? Can't you hear it? And people were nodding their head. And uh, after the services, uh, so many uh, said that. Gee, I just never heard it preached that way before. So it's a, it's a gift. I think God, in his humor, uh, decided to get a lawyer from uh, Orlando, Florida and give him the message of grace so he could come preach it. So uh, he'll be doing that tonight, and uh, I appreciate uh, James Barron. Uh, let's give him a real good Slidell welcome. Come on up here, James. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me back. You guys are awesome. I come here and it's like a, uh, such a welcome, such a sense of acceptance and love and uh, easy, to, easy to preach to you guys. Let's pray for a few seconds. Lord, we just thank you that you're always with us. Lord, we just pray that you would help us see, as Rick said, help us see I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that eyes would be opened, ears would be opened, and that we would see beyond the veil a reality that is already here. Help us see, Lord. Only you can open the eyes. For eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man what God has done. But the Spirit is given that we might know these things that are freely given to us in Christ. Freely given to us in Christ. For it is your will, O God, that we would see and know these things that you have accomplished through your Son. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the awesome work of the Spirit to open our eyes. Amen. I want to share just a few thoughts this evening about God's secret way or hidden way of changing our lives. I want to talk about how God changes people and, and how, that it, it, how it is so different than what we would expect. And 
So put that, put that on the shelf for a minute because I want to go back. I want to go back to that. But that's what I want to share some thoughts about tonight about how how we're changed, how people are really changed, how God does it. So we'll come back to that. Before we get to that, I think we need to ponder, ponder how when Jesus came that he really changed everything. This is something that is foundational because if we don't see how when, when God was manifest in the flesh, when God took on flesh and blood, when God was crucified, when Jesus died on the cross, when the word made flesh died on the cross and was raised again on the third day. You know, Paul says, great is the mystery of godliness. Great is this mystery of godliness. For God was manifested in the flesh. Now think about that for a second. God became a man. You know, every time we take the bread and drink the wine and, and, and remember the new covenant and remember what Jesus did, we're remembering first and foremost that his body, this is my body, this is my blood, that God became a man. Just that thought, if we ponder just that thought, it's amazing what happens in our spirit. God, who made all things, became a man. God was manifest in the flesh. God was vindicated in resurrection, the scripture says. God was seen by the witnesses. In the Greek, some translations say seen by angels, but the Greek word there could be messengers. I believe the right translation there is messengers. He was seen by the messengers or the witnesses. But he, obviously by the angels also. He was proclaimed by those messengers that saw him. See, the witnesses. He was, the next sentence says he was proclaimed on in the world. He was believed on. He was taken up into glory. Great is the mystery of godliness. And godliness is what we're, we're going to talk about. We're going to, you know, how to be godlike. How does God change people? How does God change us? Great is the mystery of godliness. And it starts with, God was manifest in the flesh. Think about that. The secret to your godliness has nothing to do with you. You're like sitting in this theater watching a movie, and God is manifested. God is vindicated by resurrection. God ascends. God is revealed. God is proclaimed. And you simply believed and he was taken up into glory. Awesome. So, great is the mystery of godliness. So, so when Jesus came, he changed everything. I don't, think, I don't think we really grasp how much has been changed. I mean, to me, in my life, it's just getting bigger and bigger to where I'm seeing, you know, they call the first the first witnesses of what Jesus said, they called them the people that have come and have turned the world upside down. 
What God did is so different from what men thought that when they heard what Jesus had done, it was like their whole world was turned upside down. God said this, I'll do a new covenant. I'm going to make a new covenant. He spoke through Jeremiah. I'm making a new covenant with the house of Israel. It shall not be like the covenant I made with them when I brought them out of Egypt. Ponder that. God is saying, I'm going to make a new covenant, and it will not be like the law. It will not be like the covenant I made with Israel when I brought them out of Egypt and brought them to Sinai, and we cut covenant, and I gave them the Ten Commandments. God himself is saying he's going to do something so new, so different. Isaiah said this. He said in prophesying of the coming of the Messiah, Isaiah said, Consider not the things of old, the Lord speaks. The Lord says, Consider not the things of old, for behold, I do a new thing. Awesome. Consider not the things of old. Are you serious, God? I mean, what, you, you work so hard to, to give us the Ten Commandments and the law. and I mean, consider none of that? None of that. I'm telling you, what Jesus did is so revolutionary that it, it begins to open our eyes. Our eyes are beginning to open when we, when we accept the premise that what he did was completely different. It opens the door for us to receive revelation when we, when we just believe that what he did was very different. Jesus tried to communicate that to the people. He said, listen, a man has a torn shirt. He doesn't take a new shirt and tear a hole in the new shirt to patch up the old shirt because the patch won't hold because when you wash the shirt, it's going to shrink and pull away, and you just ruined a brand new shirt. He said, you know, no one does that. No one does that. What do they do? They throw the old shirt away, and they put on a new shirt, a brand new shirt. Jesus said, no man puts wine in old wineskins, because was, we know the old wineskin is already stretched to its maximum capacity. You put new wine in old wineskins, the new wine begins to ferment, it begins to push out, it'll crack the wineskin, and Jesus said that the wine will fall out and spill out and it'll all be ruined. But people put new wine into new wineskins. I think the new wineskin is like a, a picture of a mindset. It's like a new mindset. The new wine being the life of God. Something awesome is coming. Something awesome is coming, Jesus is saying, and it's got to be put into a whole new way of thinking or you can't contain it. Jesus said this. He said, I have many things to tell you, talking to the disciples. He said, I have many things. I've got some things that I, I, I want to tell you what's coming, but you cannot bear it now. But when the Spirit comes, he shall reveal these things. See, he was talking to natural men there. They were not born of the Spirit yet. They were natural men. And that's why they had so many questions. Like, what do you mean we have to eat your flesh and drink your blood? What do you mean? You know, it was natural men were trying to grapple with what 
Jesus was saying. What do you mean you're going to die? What do you mean you're our Messiah? What, what do you mean? You know, they didn't understand. But when the Spirit would come, the Spirit would open the eyes and show them something they never, never thought would ever be. He came to change everything. Paul said that when Jesus died on the cross, that that was the end of the human race. The end of the Adamic race ended on the cross. Now that's pretty big change. That's just part of it. This is huge. See, in our, in our minds, if our minds are not open to what the Spirit wants to reveal to us, we will try to take what we have learned in the natural and combine it to what the Spirit is trying to show us in the spiritual. And we will try to mix it and combine it and harmonize it. And that's why we have such mixture in the church today in teaching of law and grace and flesh and spirit and that's why teaching in the church a lot, in many places, uh, teaching about how people are changed or how people can get free of things is also mixed. It's mixed. Only the Spirit can open our eyes to how dramatic the change. See, Paul said stuff like this. He said, don't you know that you've already died? That's, that's huge. <laughs> Don't you know that the whole world has been crucified to you and you to the world? Don't you know that God himself is now in your body, that you are the temple of the holy presence of God now? No, you not. That's huge. They didn't have that in the old days. Before Jesus came, no man had the Holy Spirit joined to them in union where God dwelled inside them and they in God. The Holy Spirit was upon certain people, and the Spirit would lift and fall again upon natural men. That's why the prophet said, the day is going to come when they shall not say, know the Lord, know the Lord, because that's how it was in the Old Testament, but they all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Why does he say that from the least to the greatest? Because the greatest sometimes were considered like David and the prophets because the Spirit came upon those and moved through those men, but they were not regenerated. They moved with the Holy Spirit upon natural flesh, but they were not regenerated. They could not have been regenerated until the sacrifice had been offered, until Jesus himself had died. In fact, do you realize no man has ever, had ever, had ever entered heaven, ever entered heaven until after Jesus accomplished his work? Every person who died, because they were not regenerated, because they did not have union with God by the Holy Spirit, because they were not born of the Spirit, because they were still of the flesh, every person who died descended to Sheol. Even Elijah, who was taken up with the whirlwind, descended to Sheol, was taken to Sheol. Even Enoch, who was, who was not, 
He walked with God and he was not, was taken to Sheol. How do I know that? Because Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, no man has ever ascended into heaven except the Son of Man who has descended. No man. He must have preeminence in all things. He must have preeminence in all things. He would be the first man to enter heaven. Every man would descend, awaiting the work of Messiah that would change everything, that would release them from Sheol. He would take captivity captive. He would descend first. That's why the thief on the cross, when he said, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Paradise, he was referring to Abraham's bosom, which is another word for paradise. That's why he would be that day in paradise with the thief, because that day they were going to descend together. Today you will be with me in paradise. Ephesians says he had to descend first and then ascend that he might fill all things. He descended first to take the authority of Sheol away, the, the power of death. He took captivity captive and released them. In fact, the, the Gospel of Luke even talks about some after he ascended, after he rose from the dead, that some from Sheol came up from Sheol and, and out of the graves and appeared to their relatives and said, he's the one, he has released us, and they disappeared as they passed on into the heavens. Christ, Jesus himself, the first man in heaven. He's changed everything. This law, I mean this covenant, will not be like the covenant of law. Different. Very different. Okay, so when we have this, do you feel the spirit Right now, just saying, open up, open up your eyes to this. You feel a sense of God saying, this is huge, what I did, it's huge. It's not just God coming to give you the Holy Spirit to give you strength to keep the law. It's not God coming to you and I to, to give us strength so we can be good people. This is huge. In fact, what I'm going to share in a few seconds about God's hidden way of changing people, that even that in itself, the change of behavior, where under the old covenant was up front and center, one of the big things, the important things, the purpose of the law, and so forth was to, you know, help people change their behavior. The truth is, part of the secret of God's way of changing people is to realize that the goal of God is not yes. to make you more Christ-like. <laughs> the goal of God is not even to make you and I'm more Christ-like. That's not the goal. That's not the eternal purpose. It is a byproduct it is a byproduct of his mysterious ways. We begin to walk like him and act like him and talk like him and think like him, but that's not why he did it. It's just one of the fruits of his life. Because his heart, his, the eternal purpose is really not to change our lives, 
The eternal purpose is simply this. And he said it on the cross to the thief. The eternal purpose of God, his heart, is that you might always be with him. That's it. He is, he is so in love with you that his heart is simply, I want you to be where I am. I want us to be together. That's it. A bridegroom and a bride. I want to marry you. I want to marry you. Who marries someone to change them? Good luck with that. Who marries someone with the goal of, I married this person because I had this vision of this, I want them to be this particular person, so I'm going to start working on them, and that's why I married them, because I want to work on them, and so they can be this person. No, you don't even think like that. In fact, all the faults and all the, the weaknesses of this person you're in love with, you don't even see. I see no fault in you. Oh, my beloved, come, let us run together. That's God. God is actually attracted to your weakness. He's attracted to weakness. Why is God attracted to weakness? Why does God love a David against a Goliath? Why does God tell Gideon, you have too many men, send them home. They've got homes, go back to the, the homes they just bought. Some got, just got married, tell them to go home. You've got too many men. Why does God like, why is he attracted to weakness? Because his heart wants to meet your need, my need. He wants to open the eyes of the blind. He wants to mend the brokenhearted. He wants to release the captives. He wants to, that's his heart. He wants to be a good father to us. He would rather you be a basket case frankly. He'd rather you be a prodigal son. He'd rather you be a prodigal son who spends all his inheritance in terrible living and come back broke if you could just, through that, see his love, as opposed to being the big brother who always thought he was doing everything right and never really needed his dad for much because he was his own person. He never got to know his father. God would rather you not be basket cases and so he can hold us, so he can reveal himself to us. We don't remain basket cases, but it, it sure helps to open our eyes when we realize that we can't do it and only he can. Then we begin to soar in a new destiny in him that is amazing. So, What is this new thing, this new thing that has come? A work that has ended the human race and started a whole new race. 
No longer Jew nor Gentile, but a new creation. Okay, let's talk about this, this thing, um, and we'll wrap it up. Uh, I don't want to go too long tonight because I really want you to ponder. See, the things that we're talking about are so, I think, so heavy that you have to ponder these things to really have them open up in your spirit. Because we don't need really more information. We need revelation. Okay, so let's look at this. How, how are men changed? You've probably heard this before where people have said, you know, God is the potter and we are the clay and God has us on this wheel and God, you know, we're going round and round and round and life's struggles and trouble and God puts pressure on us through these troubles and he's molding us through these troubles to make us more like himself. And then just when we think we're going to have a break from life's trials and tribulations, then he puts us in an oven <laughs> to bake the pot, and we think, well, it's just God working on me, and, and the pot gets all hardened in the oven, and then now it's ready for the master's use. Can I just tell you that that whole thing is bogus? That, that is the wrong thinking? That is the thinking in many believers' lives, in their, in their thoughts, that that's how God works. Now, that was how he worked before. That's how he worked with natural men. That was a true thing. It worked. God for centuries worked with natural men that way. Outward pressure, fear of judgment, knowledge of right and wrong. All those things, God worked with men like that. But he says, I do a new thing. Consider not the things of old. Behold, I do a new thing. What is this new thing, Lord? I am going to judge the entire human race and wipe it out, as in the flood, where all flesh was wiped out. He showed us pictures of his new thing that was coming all through the scriptures. In the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are pictures of what he was going to do. But it was not revealed until Jesus came. And the apostles, it was revealed to the apostles. That's why the scripture says the foundation of the prophets, the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, is because the prophets spoke of these things in a hidden way. The apostles interpreted them and because of the Messiah revealing to them what the truth was hidden in the scripture. And so that's the foundation and Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone of it all. So, so he used to work, God used to work that way. But think about this, saints. If God's new way involves your death on the cross and your resurrection through Christ, as Paul said, know you not that as Christ died once, so did you also, and as Christ has been raised from the dead, so have you, therefore live as one who has been raised from the dead. Every day, we live as one who has been raised from the dead. Think about this, saints. If God's new way involves your death and your resurrection, do you see how the potter and clay mentality of God working on you and putting pressure on you and putting you in the oven to make you what he wants you to be does not, does not compute with death and resurrection? It doesn't fit. 
It is not compatible. The thinking that God works on you and form, tries to form you into his likeness is not consistent with death and resurrection. It is not consistent with new creation. You are not a new evolution. You're not a newly evolving person. You're not a newly evolving person in God. You are, I am a new creation. The new thing that God did in Christ is centered in his death and resurrection. He ended the race and he began a new race. In fact, Paul says he is the new Adam of a new race. The new Adam, the last Adam, and not the second Adam because there's not going to be another one. Paul, by the Holy Spirit, didn't say the second Adam. By the Holy Spirit, he wrote the last Adam. There will not be another He started an entirely new race by his resurrection. These are the things the Spirit wants to reveal to us so that you and I can live in a a growing awareness that I truly have died. The old man and the new man has truly been raised and created new. Just like Rick said, it's all about seeing what is. We behold, and this is God's secret hidden way right here. We behold what is, that what is might manifest visibly. God's way is to reveal something to us in our inner man. And if you can see it, it releases the power of it. If you can see it, automatically the power is released. God, Moses talked to God face to face. And he knew not that his face was shining, the scripture says. But just by seeing God, he became like God. Paul says in the same way in the Corinthian letter, this is the dynamic of the new creation. Paul says in the Corinthian letter that the same God who said, let there be light and created all things, that same God who said, let there be light and created has shown into our hearts, has shown this light of the gospel, of this revelation, this mystery of Christ has shown into our hearts this awesome good news that he has taken our sin from us as far as the east from the west, that he has judged us once for all sin, for all men, for all time. He has removed all sin and started an entirely new race. This reality is just like creation, Paul says. The same God who said, let there be light, has said, let there be light in us and begun a new creation. That's why Hebrews says that this is the rest. As God did created all things and rested on the seventh day, he says, this is a picture of what the gospel is all about. The true Sabbath rest is Christ himself, not a day of the week. Christ himself is the Sabbath rest. Why? Because he has created you in Christ Jesus and he calls it good. Just as in the beginning when he created, he says, it is good. Therefore, we rest because the work is finished. Finished. 
See, Hebrews 4 is trying to tell us this work of God in new creation is a finished deal. Even though we don't act finished, we don't act perfect, we don't act like God all the time. And that's why Paul, the apostle, said, you must, you must, you must, you must not look on that which is seen, but that which is unseen. You must see the invisible. Because if you will stay right there and see the invisible, the invisible will become visible. Jesus said like this. He said, let your light so shine that men may see your good works. Men may see, men may see, men may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We were once darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. Let your light so shine that men may see. How does that happen? By abiding in the unseen reality and beholding him and this awesome new thing that he has done and not doubting it. See, it's not a matter of work and, and stress and struggle to be like God or to be godly because there's no mystery in that. Great is the mystery of your godliness because you're simply beholding him and finding yourself doing what he does. Paul, I mean, Moses' face being a shine by simply beholding God. This is, this is one of the mysteries of God. Before men could not behold him, he was behind a veil. He has made it possible for us in our inner man to behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. To behold this God who has given himself for us, to behold this awesome reality in our inner man is to experience a new heavenly dynamic that is without explanation. He actually created the plant kingdom with this secret in the plant kingdom. That's why plants simply have to open their leaves to the sun, to the light. They are made so that when the light hits the leaves, the chlorophyll in the leaves is created by God to receive light and transform light into sugar, glucose, energy for the plants. It's in creation. For the invisible things of God are clearly seen and understood by the things that have been made. We can't explain it, but you receive what God did. Believe it. It's the fight of faith. That's the only fight. It's the good fight. It's the only fight. It's not a fight to be like God. It's not a fight to fight your flesh. It's not a fight to fight sin. It's not a fight to fight the devil. It's not a fight to try to be a better person. It's not a fight to hang in there when the, when the clay pot is in the, the oven so I can be more like God. It's not the right fight. The only fight is the good fight of faith. Amen. To believe. Jesus said, did I not say, if you would only believe, you would see the glory of God. Anybody can believe. The weakest one can believe. The strongest one can believe. It's God's way. It's his way. It's awesome. Come unto me. Don't be afraid. Believe only, Jesus says. He will open our eyes to what he has done. Consider not the things of old. Behold, I do a new thing. I'm not working on you. I'm not working on you. 
I'm not working on you. I already worked on you. I raised you from the dead on the third day. What I am doing is I'm renewing your mind day by day. I'm trying to talk to you day by day. I want you to see. I want you to see. I want you to see what I've done. If you can see it, you'll experience it. We don't live in a clay potter mentality where we're thinking we're trying to get somewhere. We're trying to get better. We're trying to improve. We're trying to make progress with our life. We don't live with that mentality anymore. We live at our destination. We rest seated with him in heavenly places in a union that only he could pull off. We live on earth from our place of destination arrived. We've arrived. You have arrived. Don't be afraid to say that. You have arrived. You know, when Paul said, I have not arrived yet, you know, he says in Philippians, I have not yet, not yet, yeah, I'm not yet, yeah, I'm not yet apprehended what I was, what I was apprehended for, or not, not yet. He's not talking about he's not yet in the heavens. He's not talking about I'm not yet, yet in union with Christ. He's not reversing everything he ever taught and, more, and wrote about when he said, I have not yet attained to what I have been apprehended for. What he's saying there in Philippians is that I have been apprehended by God for God to live through me fully with no Paul getting in the way. And I am not yet blasting God every second. And I want to blast God every second. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I have not yet attained to this awesome work. I am totally not blasting God everywhere with powerful light beams with, you know. That's what he's saying. Because there's always more. There's always more. In these bodies, we see in part, we prophesy in part, we have these brains we have to work through. So Paul is saying, there is so much more. There are exceedingly, abundantly more, much more grace, much more, much more. So he was saying, I want, I want, to, I want to experience more of him. I want him to live more fully through me. He wasn't saying he wasn't yet holy. He was holy. Oh, my God, is he holy. He is joined to God. Jesus said to Paul, go forth and tell them that I have forgiven their sins and I have given them an inheritance, not a wage, but an inheritance. And all those who are sanctified by faith in me shall see it. See, you have already been sanctified. You have already been made holy. It's impossible for God to dwell inside of us if we were not holy. We live from a dest our, our destination. That's why it's called a rest. We enter the rest, ceasing from our own works, as God did cease from his when he created all things, Hebrews 4 says. We cease from our own works of trying to do in order to be. No amount of doing will make you be any better. 
No amount of doing will make you more righteous. No amount of doing will make you more holy. No amount of doing will bring you any closer to God. That's another misconception in the church that, you know, how can we get closer to God? We need to get closer to God. It's a blindness. It's a blindness. How can you get any closer to the God who lives within your bosom? Your life is now hidden with Christ inside of God, Paul said. For you have died, and he has raised a new man and joined himself to that man, that person. You can't get any closer to God. You just can't see him like you will see him when the body dies. For when the body dies, we shall know all things as we are known in a second. Right now, we're having to work through this brain, the infirmity of the flesh, we see in part, we prophesy in part, we see through a glass darkly. But the moment your body dies, absent from the body, it's present with the Lord in exceeding joy, blameless, knowing all things instantly as you are known by God. Awesome. We walk by faith. Now, we believe. We go from faith to greater faith, from glory to greater glory. The manifestation of the glory of God in your life is a function of faith, not your obedience to commandments. Faith, faith is, the, is what brings a greater revelation of him and a greater manifestation of who he is through our lives. That's his way. All of this is hidden in the life of Jacob. You have Esau, Jacob, they're twins. That's a picture of the old man, the new man. They're twins. They were born at the same time. Esau first, first the natural, then the spiritual. Jacob is a picture of the new man, the new creation. He's not working on Esau. Esau's not in the picture. He's trying to get Jacob to see something. The new man, Jacob has a dream. He sees an open heaven. He sees a ladder, Jacob's ladder. He sees all this access to God. He says, oh, my God, it was there. I didn't see it. Now he goes, he goes, my God, this is none other than the gate of heaven. This is the house of God. Jacob must awaken. You and I must awaken. God, he said, is in this place, and I knew it not. God is in your bosom, and we know it not. God is inside of you, and we know it not. It's huge. It's huge. And then we see in Jacob's life how he advanced, he, he, he prospered because the cattle, God showed him how to cut the, the limbs. You know the story, how he would cut the, the bark off so it would make the limbs striped, and they would put the striped limbs in the water troughs, and the, and the cattle, the, the, the uh, goats and the cattle would come in and drink of the water, and as they saw the striped, they became, they made it, made it at the water trough, the scripture says, and as they saw these striped water, I mean striped sticks in the bottom of the water as they were drinking, they, were, they would mate at the water troughs. Their babies turned out spotted and striped, and you remember the deal he had with Laban. Laban was trying to trick him and say, okay, you can have all the cattle that are striped and spotted, and there were only a few when he said that. 
He said, oh, you can have all the And Jacob said, okay, okay, I'll take it. God says, let me show you something. Cut these, put this in the water. And all their babies, stripe it. Stripe. But what is God saying? What is hidden in this story that God is trying to tell us? The same Jacob, the same new man that must see that God is in here, God is inside him, that he has access to God, that same man must see God's mysterious way of transformation, which is to see and be. To see is to manifest what is. And so we see that story where the, he, the cattle multiplied, and of course Jacob ended up with all this cattle, and Laban's going like, what's going on here? They're all striping. <laughs> it's a picture of how we multiply in God, not by doing, but by seeing. And then the final story of Jacob, which is key before he crosses the river back to Esau. Remember, he was afraid of Esau. He was afraid of the flesh. But when God was finished with Jacob, the new man, he wasn't afraid of Esau. And the last part of that story is when Jacob wrestles with the angel. That's when he got his new name. That's when God named him Israel. That's when we see who we really are. We are a son. We're a daughter of the living God. A new name that you've always had. But we see it. And how did this final breakthrough come to Jacob? He struggled with this angel. He was struggling. He was saying, bless me, bless me, forgetting that God had already blessed him. Remember early in the, in the story, God blessed Jacob? He was struggling to get a blessing he already had. And only when he let go did he get the name. And how did he, get, how did he finally let go? God hit the strongest part of him, his thigh, and he let go. What is God teaching there? He's teaching that the new man, the new creation, lives in complete dependence on God. You see, Adam, the first Adam, entered, brought to the world this thought that we can do it. Man can do anything. But the Son of Man came, Jesus, and said, apart from my Father, I can do nothing. So the DNA that's in you as a new creation is made to live dependently, completely dependently on the life within you. As the Son lived by the Father, so shall we live by the Son, Jesus said. That's why he said, Come and take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. What's he saying there? Well, the Pharisees used to say, yoke yourself up to the law. So part of what he was saying was that, no, don't yoke yourself up to the law. Don't listen to the Pharisees. Don't yoke yourself up. Don't join yourself to the law and commit and commit and commit to be a better person and commit to do good. Don't do that at all. No, yoke yourself up to me. Take, take my yoke upon you is what he said. Take my yoke. What is he saying there? He's saying that he had a yoke. He was yoked up to something. A yoke just means 
uh, something that jo is joined. That's why it says don't be unequally yoked when you're married. It, that just means a joining. So he was joined to something, to someone. He was joined to the Father. He said, come learn of me. Learn how I live this life on earth. Come learn of me. For I am meek and lowly of heart. You see, that's the secret to living dependent. A meek and lowly heart is a man who lives completely dependent on God. Come learn of me. Learn how I live in this place of complete dependence on my Father. And you shall find rest for your souls. And you shall bear much fruit. Because then I can live through you as my Father lived through me. For the words I speak are not my words, but the words of my Father. And the works that I do are not my works, but the works of my Father who dwells within me. And as I live by my Father, you shall live by me. Because you have seen the way of God. We live completely dependent on Him. We see by simple faith to live is Christ. For I was crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, gave himself to me, also in me. God's way. So God's way to change the human race is not like men think at all. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man what God had planned. Because who could have thought that he was going to just kill everybody? judge everybody, end everybody, and start over with a brand new race of people that would be perfect in him. And that's what he did in the cross and in the resurrection, the great mystery of Christ. The mystery of your own death through Christ is a great mystery. Ponder that, camp right there until it breaks into your mind, as Paul said, you have died. The mystery of my own death in Christ is a great mystery. The mystery of my own resurrection in Christ. Because the moment the Holy Spirit touched me, when I simply put my faith in what Jesus did for the forgiveness of my sins, the Holy Spirit came as a gift through faith because of what Jesus did. Because when you believe, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit touches you, touches your human spirit. He raises the dead. We were dead in our sins. He cuts away the inner man from the body, the true circumcision of the flesh, and raises up a new creation, joined to him, perfect and holy and blameless. And then the rest of our life on earth, we, we live with our mind being renewed to what is. And the more we see, the more fruit begins to come out in our life by simply seeing. What a rest. What a rest. And just to repeat, his goal is not to just make us fruitful. His goal is to be with us. His heart is to be with us. And in that being with him, we find ourselves walking as he walked.
and we cannot explain it, and no flesh can glory in it. That's the key. No flesh can glory in it. It's as, it's as much as, as Peter walked on water, Peter would be foolish to say, yeah, I, I had a, a small part in that. I was uh, treading, feet with my, treading water with my toes. I added 1% to that buoyancy on the water. No, Peter cannot take credit for walking on water. It's a picture of the Christian life. We live, we walk as he walked by simply seeing him. He walked upon the thing that was going to destroy him because he saw Jesus walking on the water. There it is, Christian life right there. To see him is to experience his life walking through you. And no flesh can glory in his presence. It's awesome. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. I love what Rick said about people who are thirsty and say, I'm going through a dry time and I'm in the wilderness and all this wrong thinking. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, if you believe on him, you will never never thirst again. You will never, never hunger again. So if we're thirsty and hungry, we're not seeing something. Because Jesus said, to believe on him is to never thirst again, never hunger again. And what that means is not that, it's not that we don't hunger for more of God or thirst for more of God. It means that like you're on a cruise and you have all this food laid out on the cruise ship and you get hungry, you just go and eat. He's a continual feast. Jesus is a continual feast. So if you want more of God, it's right there. See, if you want more of God, it's right there. You never lack is what he's saying. You will never lack for water. You will never lack for food. You want more water? It's right there. You want more food? It's right there. See, it's awesome. And you can have as much as you want. And there's an endless supply. It's a continual feast beyond the veil in this other reality that he has brought us to through a door. For we have been translated from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. And we live now in another place, a place he prepared that we might be where he is now and he with us. For lo, he said, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Awesome. Woo! Lord, we just thank you for this, this, the reality of what you did. So different. So awesome. So new. Lord, I pray that everybody who hears these words, those watching by the internet in Orlando, those in Virginia, those in other parts of Florida, there are other people that have said they were going to watch this conference, this much more conference this weekend. Lord, I pray by the Holy Spirit that these words will bear much fruit. I pray that the reality of an unseen reality would open up and we would see that this is not difficult, that He wants us to see that we all we have to do is say, Lord, I am blind to a lot of these things. Show me, open my eyes. 
And Jesus would say, because you say you are blind, you shall see. Because you want more, you shall receive it. Lord, thank you for the reality of your love. Thank you that you brought us through a door. Thank you that you are the door. You are the way, the door. You are the truth, the reality behind that door. And you are the life, the power that sustains the reality behind the door. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the reality. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the reality. Lord, I pray that when everyone lays their head on their pillow tonight, that the Holy Spirit would bring to our remembrance these things that are not of men, but of God. May the two wings of the great eagle, the Holy Spirit, bring revelation and remembrance. Revelation and remembrance that we might fly to that place prepared by God, that where we are nourished and cherished, hidden from the face of the serpent, protected by God, hidden with Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you, James. I love you, brother. Awesome. Oh, now you know how the hamsters feel when they eat too many uh, sunflower seeds at one time, right? (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you. That's just uh, awesome. Uh, For those of you who are watching via the internet, we appreciate you tuning in. And those of you listening via the radio uh, on Grace Radio, 103.7 FM. If you'd like to get in touch with us, if you would like a CD, or a DVD of uh, tonight's uh, broadcast, you can reach us at info at nbcofslidell.org. That's info at nbcofslidell.org. For those of you who are here, we do have uh, CDs and DVDs that have been produced. Uh, we don't charge for CDs or DVDs. We don't charge for the gospel, all right? It's free. However, we do charge for the lights. That's why we have the offering box back there. We don't mind pay, making you pay for the electricity and the air conditioning. Honestly, if you want to give, don't forget the offering basket in the back. Uh, those of you who are listening, uh, we're going to sign off now. We'll go back to our regular broadcasting. For those that are here, you are dismissed in the name of the Lord. Amen. <laughs>